0: Hey guys, if you want to support the show, please like, rate, review, subscribe, do all that stuff wherever you listen to podcasts, uh, spread the word to your friends. If you can, you know, let's try to get the word out on all this stuff. Uh, if you enjoy it, also please consider becoming a Patreon. patreon.com slash one eight five miles South, whatever you guys can help out with is awesome. You know, the, the dollars, uh, you know, people that donate a dollar It's fucking awesome. I appreciate it very much. It means a lot to me. Um, that's all. Let's get on with the show.
1: 185 miles
2: south. A hardcore punk rock podcast. What was your question, Verdi? Do you only—is uh, it just live all the way through, or you know, if I say something really ridiculous, are we gonna edit it out fast? Nah, ask, dude, you know, like your favorite Screwdriver album or something.
0: I got—we're
1: already recording.
0: I don't—I don't like any Screwdriver albums. You fucking racist. That's right. Yeah. Um, no, once I get up to a hundred Patreons, then I'll—I'll I'll go edit things. <laughs> <laughs> Until then, fuck it, yeah. we're rolling. You know. All right, today we got Roger Camaro. My main man uh, played in, Jesus Christ, a million bands, but No Motive um, is probably the biggest. And also the Mighty Mighty Retaliate, the greatest band on earth. And then uh, also from that band, we got Andrew Verity here yep. to help uh, lube the wheels a little bit. The Lord Verity. Lord Verity. Um, so, Roger, your first band was By All Means.
1: Uh, technically, yeah, I think so. Did you do anything before that? Quite possibly, but if, if you were to ask me what any of them actually were called, I couldn't.
0: How did you meet those dudes? Oh,
1: man. So, my first year of high school, I went to Villanova Prep School in Ojai, California, in the
0: mountains. Mm. And, uh... I think you fell off, Roger. Yep. That's
1: not good. Hey, hey, hey. You back. hey. So yeah. so yeah, once we
0: get up to 100 Patreons, I'll, I'll get someone, we'll edit that out. Perfect. <laughs> but now roll it, Villanova, shout out Bampa.
1: Yeah, oh my god, wow. So yeah, went when my first year of high school to Villanova, and I met two guys from uh, Camarillo, Ryan Schole and Alex Windvelt. Um, I don't think Ryan actually was a student at Villanova, but he was a friend of Alex's and uh, Alex was one year ahead of me. Uh, he was a sophomore, and I was a freshman. And uh, I think somehow, one way or another, Alex found out that I uh, that I played music. Is it cutting up? I can't
0: tell. Sounds a little bit like it. Yeah, I think my mic might be fucked up. You better hook up one of these mics, dude. <laughs> That's what I paid for. Hold yeah. on. We'll be back. So were you already in into- the punk rock when you met those guys?
1: I was already into punk rock.
0: Who is your favorite band or who were your favorite bands?
1: Freshman year of high school, I would say face to face was, was definitely my favorite of basically high school. But, uh, before that, as a young lad, um, my, my brother Ray is eight years older than me. Um, I think at a very early age, he showed me rock for light by bad brains and I was uh floored by the sound.
0: what age would you have been? Do you think?
1: Oh man, probably five or six.
0: See, I don't even think that if I was that young, my brain could process it like, like I think that like I don't know when I was thirteen, I could process like bad religion and shit, yeah, I don't even know if I was ready for the bad brains at like thirteen like it's It's just hitting on like too high of a level.
1: The, the thing about Rock for Light that really tripped me out was the amount of reverb that was on the recording. Mm-hmm. But on top of that, obviously, HR's voice is out of this world. Yes. So it doesn't matter how old you are. True. Because it's ridiculous yeah. either way. Yeah. And um, that band has stuck through life. Um, but besides Bad Brains, uh, Ray also showed me Dayglo Abortions, mm-hmm. and uh, Dead Kennedys. Mm-hmm. So those those were probably the early bands mm-hmm. before the whole wave of new school that you and I grew up on as teenagers.
0: Yeah, and so that stuff hits, and you're a freshman, and what makes you decide that you want to not just be a fan, but you want to participate and, and do a band?
1: Um, well... When when I was a kid, even in 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 elementary school, Ray and I were already playing music together. Um, but even besides the two of us, uh, some of some of my friends, as a kid, we um, we did cover cover bands and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. the idea of playing music with people was already familiar to me, and I grew up watching my brother do that with his garage bands and. In high school,
0: what like what type of songs were they doing? Were they doing like Beatles songs? Are they doing like Inigata of the Vida? Or
1: uh, Ray was uh heavily influenced by our older cousin Roger, mm-hmm. and uh, he, he was actually in the army. And he, at one point, somehow there was a VHS tape that my brother um got, got a hold of, and they, my cousin's band videotaped them playing um joy division songs mm-hmm. and uh
0: so they're playing sick
1: music. they they were very much into the goth industrial that, that, goth alternative that, that kind dark of, boy shit. Yeah. And uh that that resonated with my brother and I pretty heavily. And um so Ray was following suit, his his uh high school cover band covered same bands, Joy Division, The Cure, but also uh, The Cult and uh, New Order. And I think they probably wrote some of their own songs. But the funny thing about that band is uh, Donovan Coffee of Clench Fist was in that band that my brother had when he was in high school. Oh, so sick. So I knew of him. He was very mysterious because he was one of the last... Uh, guys to join their group of friends playing together, and he was the one that looked visibly not raised in a uh, in a family that that the rest of my my brothers bandmates were raised in. They had like they they looked very you know safe, mm-hmm. and uh, basically Donovan was like the first punk rock looking dude. Yeah, it was I a ever, wild man that I ever saw.
0: You're bringing around a wild man.
1: <laughs> I don't know if it was necessarily wild, but yeah, to me as a kid, I I felt like intimidated by him more so than than the others. Yeah, he had something like an aura.
0: Yeah. So let's jump to starting by all means, which is your first punk band. So you're friends with Alex at Villanova, and mm-hmm. then Ryan, the other dude.
1: Ryan, uh, singer, guitar player. I uh somehow we all met and uh brian had all these songs that he had written alex was just learning alex wanted to be in a band with his friends he wasn't necessarily a musician yet Mm -hmm. but being in the band he he learned how to do it and um
0: yeah stick him on bass
1: yep Uh. (laughs) (laughs) yeah he did it he did just fine um he had natural talent, so... And he did the backup vocals, too, And he right? did backup vocals, yep. Sounds
0: familiar. It didn't have to be this way. Yep, yep.
1: Um, so, yeah, I don't know what what we had for goals. I, w- I was a very sheltered young man. Um, went to my first punk shows with those dudes, so um, all I really knew was playing music, in in bedrooms in houses and never really tried to play real shows or anything like that. Even house parties to me were like nuts because um, basically I had to, I had to sneak out to do anything musical because I grew up in a very traditional Filipino family and um, being in a band wasn't something that my parents necessarily wanted. Me to be doing, especially a punk band. Yeah, right. So, uh uh sorry guys. Yeah, I had to sneak out a lot. To, they, they to do music stuff,
0: you've turned into a, a nice, <laughs> a nice lad, right? Yeah. Um, but you guys actually pull off like it's kind of wild because for a lot of the mid '90s hardcore stuff, the bands didn't get around to putting out a record, and you guys are not only in that era, but. You guys are young kids, and you pull off putting out a seven inch
1: <laughs> yeah um that's uh, largely due to alex's efforts mm-hmm. um he he was probably the uh the the biggest financial contributor, and um well although he didn't really write songs, he was kind of like the business guy of yeah. the band, so if it weren't for him. We would we would never have seen Seven Inches.
0: Yeah, and Alex he went on to what what was the big band he played bass for?
1: He was in yellow card for for a bit.
0: And what was the story behind that? It was like the dude left <laughs> like the main dude left, and so Alex was filling in and then, um, then they got popular and that guy came back and he got the boot. Pretty much.
1: I don't know if I don't know if the, the bass player was like the guy of the band. Okay. But he had definitely recorded that uh oceans avenue album or whatever and uh
0: so like they're kind of slumming they just so that guy quit and then alex comes in and plays bass yeah because they're all friends and then they get from
1: uh, florida okay they grew grew up in florida and they moved to to and uh somehow made friends with alex and a bunch of that whole crew of uh, musicians out there and yeah that record really did something (laughs) so
0: they get famous and the bass is like i want my job back
1: i guess i don't know yeah (laughs) at least alex got to be on that now music commercial because like that's the second that's like the clip of the the yellow card video that plays in that commercial so you see alex you're like yeah that's what you got
0: that dude That's (laughs) so so by all means last for how long do you think oh man a couple years
1: uh I think we are probably done by the time I was a senior. The you played, you played L.A.? Actually, actually they they kicked me out of the band because what? I I didn't I didn't want to tour because they had
0: <laughs> Oh, they were going to tour.
1: Yeah, they had aspirations to like do it for reals.
0: Did you guys play beyond LA?
1: Nope. We we only played uh Living Room, Ohio, LA cuz we played the anti
0: right?
1: Yep. Yeah. We we actually did it must have been like a battle of the bands or some sort of local night, but uh we had to pay to pay, pay to play this, uh the Roxy. Oh, play yeah. the Roxy too. And it's on videotape somewhere. I just don't know where it is.
0: <laughs> and then they booted you. Yeah. And then what do you do after that?
1: Uh I think I just jammed with my friends until you, you joined voice. Until you yeah. Yep.
0: Yeah. I and that's a weird thing, like this podcast has is, is been like a, a serious exercise in my my memory and a lot of times it's just been a complete failure. Like I don't remember you joining voice or leaving voice. But like <laughs> I know you were, like on the seven inch, the yeah. first one, and you're in the photos. And I remember we played that weird show at your house. Yep. And but I mean that band's just we kinda played, like uh, the living room. You played together. the living room a bunch. Yeah. 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 But then, like you weren't in the band because I remember Phil broke your guitar, so like you weren't at that show.
1: But I think that was before. Was that before? It had to
0: be it? before because that was like, that was just us playing like some shit party in Moor Park. Yeah, you I, know, re- like, I remember that. Like, why are we playing a party in Moor Park? Like, no one. It's not like happy music. Like people didn't want to hear it. You know,
1: there had to have been that that Oxnard Cameo connection that led to a a Moor Park party.
0: Maybe I don't know. And then I remember, did you play those shows with us at Bompa's house? It sounds really familiar. Those like she had like that barn out in, um, what would that be like? It's like the first town like north of like when you come off the, the one hundred and one like cutting in towards Santa Barbara,
1: not Carpinteria. Carpinteria. Okay,
0: yeah, she had like a, a barn up there.
1: Sounds familiar, but
0: well, because Unknown Truth played there,
1: then that means I had to have been there. Yeah, because I, I was another I band. He did. I don't think that. I did not. I don't think I missed an unknown truth show. I think we probably would have broke up. Yeah. You were know, the glue, right? <laughs> Perhaps.
0: <laughs> um, around this time you had to have gotten your first, like, I don't know what we you call it. Like a recording kit. Like you get a four track or something.
1: Um. Well, Ray had a uh, reel to reel machines since I was a little child and my since. parents, uh, Stereo, like the the home stereo. Um, it also had, for whatever reason, back then, it had two quarter inch inputs, so you could plug in microphones. It had little gain structuring. Oh wow! And so some of the first recordings we ever did were like two karaoke mics or whatever mics yeah. were at the house, and like putting them on each side of the room and calling it a record. Yeah. So <laughs> who,
0: who did you record early on?
1: Um, I did. Uh, there was a band w- uh, with uh, my friend Ron Baldwin. I can't remember the name of that band, but that that was uh one of uh Ron's a, a legend tech guy out of, out of uh, Ventura now. But uh, what else? I recorded No Motive back when lived in River Ridge. Did some demos there on four track. Uh, probably every band that I was playing in did some sort of four track demo. Did, did any
0: of those get on the Scarred CD? What was that after that?
1: Uh, That was never used for anything because I think the tape went missing.
0: Okay. So the first time I remember you recording me was for that rabies comp.
1: And I don't even remember
0: that. But that's not true because (laughs) you had to have done the second standing ground demo. Because who else would have done the second standing ground demo? The one when I was singing and Todd played guitar.
1: Would that have been in... in, uh, That had to have been when I lived in Riverage.
0: It was for sure. Because, yeah, and the rabies one was as well.
1: So that wasn't the same recording session? Those were separate?
0: They were separate because okay. Todd didn't play on the rabies one.
1: Oh, okay. I'm, now I'm starting to have really vague memories coming back. <laughs> I know. It's <laughs> it's really hard, right?
0: Yeah. It's hard. Um, I, No, both of those were recorded at your parents' house. Yeah. I don't remember the standing ground one at all, the demo. The rabies one I remember because, like, I think it was on my birthday. And it was... It was weird because it was just me, Tony, and Chris doing it without Todd. It felt like weird. And, just bringing back some memories. Yeah. And then like doing a Warzone song was really hard. Like I yeah. love I love that song. Like I think that other than Don't Forget the Struggle, Don't Forget the Streets, like the best Warzone stuff is the split with cause for alarm. Like by far. I think That's that great. stuff is actually like stands up against Don't Forget the Struggle, Don't Forget the Streets. And like Yeah, we did that What Are You Looking For? song and it's like that is That song's a fucking mouthful to sing. Like, I don't know if you can, like, realize how good of a singer Rabies was until you attempt to, like, sing that song.
1: And you had to sing it analog to yeah. tape. Yeah. It no was easy editing.
0: I know. Like, so I couldn't punch?
1: Probably not. <laughs>
0: Jesus. Respect to myself. <laughs> in 98, right? Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, that is 1998. And now. Oh, that's crazy but your big move happens right after and you join no motive cause sadness prevails comes out in 99. Yeah. So you're in no motive in 98. Um, yes. Cause you play on sadness
1: mm-hmm. as I, the bass player. Yeah. I, I joined the band, I believe February, or April of mm-hmm. 98. Um, Pat and pretty much all of them had, had asked me in 97 to join the band. And that was like fresh out of, high school, and uh, I was meant to do the proper thing. Yeah. Go to school.
0: Yeah, finish school. And uh, so I, hey, mo- I moved to Irvine. Listen and- to that, Albert. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> moved to Irvine to live with Ray and go to community college there. And uh, let's just say that there there wasn't as much time being spent studying as a, as there should have been, and there was quite a bit, a lot of time being spent. Messing around with my four track, rocking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there, there was a lot of music that was being created.
0: Yeah, at your brother's house. This is a a jump ahead. We'll we'll jump back, but it's a an interesting fun fact. I was on urine Ray's couch on nine eleven. Oh yeah. Yeah, I remember. I remember it was weird. So uh, we'll get yeah, there. I we'll,
1: get, we'll get to nine eleven. <laughs> oh, because <laughs> you, you have a nine eleven story. Yeah. Okay, sick.
0: Uh, right.
1: But yeah. uh, where were we? We well, joined No Motive. Oh yeah, so uh, they they had to ask me a, a few times because I was just I was really timid and scared. Basically, did,
0: did you ever talk to Dave? Like, did he leave? He didn't get the boot, right? He quit.
1: Um, or pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that he he just didn't want to to really do like the thing. Like, because
0: you know? no, no Moda was getting ready to do it for reals. Yeah, like for the next five years, this is a full time thing.
1: It was, it was like the this guy's opening. Yeah, like this is this is your chance to like really be did playing you ever, in a band.
0: Did you ever talk to him at that time though?
1: Um, I didn't talk to Dave about that. Yeah, no. Dave and I were always cool, um, but we never we weren't like tight bros or anything like that. We probably got tighter after.
0: Yeah. So. That's pretty rad that like all three of them really wanted you in because it's like you're not coming in and being treated like the new guy right you're being <laughs> well you're being yeah. treated like someone that you recorded right yeah. so your opinion matters did you did you take a uh, place in some of the songwriting
1: uh not not early on um i I think that um they respected me as a musician mm-hmm. and and uh they knew that I had like songwriting ideas but i think at that point they had already between the three of them developed something um that was the formula you know and and uh i didn't really want to mess with that too much yeah I, it was already intimidating to me enough to to have to attempt to write my own bass lines mm-hmm. because it was it was already a known thing that uh max and that all of them wrote bass lines, and like a lot of the early no motive stuff was bass driven largely probably due to all of our um shared love of ignite and- yeah
0: well and 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 they would say that in the early years, Dave was the best musician in the band, yep, so it's the- bass driven for that reason,
1: I think Max wrote a lot of those bass yeah. lines, though, yeah, it was like dave was Dave was like the perfect player, but I don't know if he was necessarily the writer of a lot of those cool bass lines that they had back in the day. But But Dave um, played the lead on Remember. Did he? Yeah. <laughs> played Max's right. guitar part. <laughs> so.
0: And uh, this is way in the no mode of weeds. Who, where the real fans at. Yeah, where the right. real fans at.
1: <laughs> That's pretty much how I think I got asked to be in the band. I think I might have been like one of their biggest fans. Yeah. That that was living in Oxnard, you know, and I had like you said recorded them and stuff so it was just a matter of uh really uh just following following the gut and the heart on that one
0: yeah separating yourself a little bit from your parents and then yeah just kind of going for it like a, a real break free moment
1: it was it was it, i had to yeah there was like it, i knew back then even as like a 17 year old like i'm going to fully regret this if i don't at least try
0: i mean it was it was served up on a plate for you You have to do it or not. Mm -hmm. Like everything,
1: like at the at the time that they had really approached me, they they already had the ball in motion quite a bit. They had signed a vagrant. They had already recorded something for the first vagrant compilation. Yeah, and so I think they might have already had the Good Riddance tour booked, which Mm -hmm. was in October of ninety eight, and that was the first real tour that. Any of us had gone on,
0: and that tour happened before after you recorded Sadness.
1: That happened. Ooh, that's a good question. Maybe the tour happened before because we did record the record in. It October came. It came
0: out before the record came out. Are you toured before the record came out? We toured sure. before the record came out. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Because so, the record didn't come out until like February of
0: '99. What was it like recording Sadness? And was that your first time being in a a real studio?
1: That was my first time being in a real studio. It was a. Uh, the most intimidating thing ever, because uh, the record was produced by Trevor, the singer, face to face, mm-hmm. and them being my favorite band of all of high school. It was took a lot to try to not feel or seem like I was starstruck the the whole time. Yeah,
0: was he cool and inviting with you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um his his involvement with the band on a producer level was was you know as as Organic as you would hope it would be. It didn't have any of that weird Hollywood stuff that freaks people out, especially yeah. at our age.
0: Yeah, and how much involvement do you think he had in that record? Was he pretty hands-off or was he hands-on?
1: I think he helped a lot in terms of uh, Jeremy's vocals. Mm-hmm. I think he helped him kind of shape what became the Jeremy's style. He had already... Gotten something on his own, but I think Trevor really helped bring bring that out and uh I honestly can't really recall how he might have shaped songs, but I for sure he since he's a guitar player he had to have had a lot of a heavy hand in guitar tones and getting the guys to do certain things on yeah. on that record, which yeah. is crazy because i'm um this is the this year is the 20th anniversary of Sadness, and um, Armon and I uh, transferred those master tapes to Pro Tools um, a few months ago, and I'm remixing the record now for like a reissue, re-release anniversary thing. And so it's really trippy to listen to all these tracks by themselves now. Because yeah. the whole entire record was recorded to tape, mixed from tape, didn't hit digital until they made CDs or whatever, you know?
0: So you're listening to like your isolated bass tracks?
1: Listen. Yeah. And it's crazy to see how, cause we recorded it to two inch, 24 tracks maximum. Like nowadays I'd reach 24 tracks on a demo. Yeah. You know? So, um, hearing one kick track, one snare track, and that's like my only option for, yeah. for, for mixing. It's crazy. And, it makes you it made me appreciate more the the mix that they that they got. It's definitely fun to, to mess with, with the album now, mess with the tones now, but um,
0: You'll turn max up, fool. Yeah,
1: right, <laughs> all kinds of stuff that needs to get turned up.
0: <laughs> so then you go on your first tour.
1: Yep, uh, first tour with Goodrin's, uh, and 88 Fingers Louie across. Some of the Midwest. This is like a sea Market tour. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Which. Well, you don't even have a record out yet, so yeah, don't, we don't complain.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely not. And I was going to say that back then, Goodwins is a punk band. Mm-hmm. Before, you know, I, I think at some point they got pretty popular to the point where they could do Warp Tour and be one of the big acts on, on Warp Tour, right? But in 98, putting out ballads from revolution They were still a very in the big scope of things like a relatively smaller fat band and so i don't know if this c market tour was just normal right yeah because that's how it is when you do punk tours it's you're playing everywhere yeah there it's no market yeah it's just america
0: so give me an example you play like kansas city and there's 80 people
1: uh, first show we played was in Casper, Wyoming.
0: So you drive straight to Casper.
1: Well, we, um, met up with them in San Francisco. They played their own show at Slim's. Okay. And then we drive to Boise. Okay. And like, just spend a night there. Okay. And yeah, the next day we were in Casper, Wyoming. And, and what month is
0: this? What's, what's the weather like? This is like? October uh no, that's probably the perfect month of the yeah, tour.
1: yeah it it wasn't bad yeah the the whole tour was we didn't we didn't get the the weather yeah vibes yet on yeah. that tour everything didn't even think about the weather
0: okay, so what's casper wyoming like for a punk show uh
1: the v f w hall like type place and uh playing on um a very i'd probably makeshift stage to i don't know sixty eighty a hundred people maybe yeah. maybe. Maybe, perhaps forty eighty. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> something like that. Yeah, nothing, nothing crazy. Definitely personal. You know, you yeah. see every person in the crowd.
0: Yeah. Do you remember where you went next?
1: Oh man, from there, South Dakota, probably. Okay. Yeah, Rapid City, South Dakota. We played. I think the venue was possibly a bar.
0: Didn't you guys end up having like? because kind of always went to South Dakota and always did pretty well. That was like a random spot that no more yeah. did well in, right?
1: Yeah. I I don't know if it was birthed out of that one show a good Rinse, yeah. but for whatever reason when we would go to South Dakota, Rapid City, Aberdeen, people would party Yeah. shows. It was crazy. Rules. I, don't, I don't know how it happened. Like it got to the point where one of the tours that we we had, we had made friends out there and uh they they threw an after party, sh- uh, after show party for us at one of their houses, and it was a rager. Yeah, and we're like, "This is so strange." It's just weird
0: how you know in different cities they connect with different bands. Yep, and whether it's a vibe or it's a moment or yep, who knows? Absolutely. But it's it's probably the greatest thing about touring is like finding kinship with like minded people mm-hmm. in different places around the world.
1: And in in the case of case of of our band we've we've made some friends long long ago that we still talk to yeah still keep in contact with some of them have moved out out here from uh from other states it's cool
0: so did you get to know good Riddance and 80 fans louis well on the tour
1: um yeah they, they were they were both very personable bands mm. um obviously chuck is notorious for being like a a tour uh Oh <laughs> Torrent Entertainer, we'll just say that.
0: Did you have Joe with you?
1: We did have Revis with us. He was he was our uh our our, our guiding knight. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> he was there to make sure we uh wouldn't fuck up. <laughs>
0: Don't fuck up, fool. Don't fuck up with friend Revis. Yep. Well that's rad. And then you come back and then Sadness comes out.
1: Sadness comes out and uh I can't remember now if we just were immediately uh greeted with a a support tour from face to face or not but i think m- it was either that or we did our first american tour by ourselves i'm pretty sure we did a tour with face to face because i'm pretty sure we we got a fair amount of spoilage right off the bat mm-hmm. and and our tour um our tour experiences were were like we were very lucky.
0: Yeah, so let's compare the like compare them against each other. The face-to-face <laughs> tour versus the Good Ridden City Fantasy Tour.
1: Well, it's funny you bring up the weather, because this face-to-face tour, I believe, started in the late spring, perhaps. And uh, the first show of that tour was in Texas, in Austin. And I'm pretty sure we drove straight to Austin, and... Uh, that was the first time we literally drove straight to Austin. We didn't stop. So that was the first moment of my life waking up in the van with all the windows up at 7am in the morning. And it's like literally a hundred degrees inside the van and we're all just dripping of sweat. Yes, And that, that moment I woke up, I'll never forget. I I finally questioned what I have been, <laughs> what I decided to do with my life. I, I, I was really, uh, I was really taken back by that.
0: But you had a nice van, right? Like your van was reliable. It was. You bought like a newer van, like you were able to use the yeah. AC and shit.
1: Uh, yeah, I think it, it. I mean, it was a conversion van. Okay. From from the eighties, so yeah. AC worked. Yeah. But it wasn't like no no no, an no. Econo line that has the the AC ducts that. Smash everybody. It's not like that. So, in summer, early, uh, late spring, Texas, it was, it was miserable.
0: It's like legit hot. And for like coming out of California, you oh, know, I, I
1: had the funny things that I had gone to the Philippines pretty much every two years of my life since I was born. Right. So, I know what heat is like mm. for real, you know, but for whatever reason just that feeling of waking up in the van like that.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh It's unforgettable.
0: Yeah. Well, maybe that's because when you go to the Philippines, you step out of the airport and you're like prepared for it. Where yeah. like, this was, you know, just a you're, shock. you're waking up in the same exact circumstances that you were in yesterday, but it's 30 degrees hotter.
1: Yeah. It like, was,
0: how could this be happening? Like your brain can't comprehend it.
1: Yeah. I, I was freaked out. Yeah. It, it took me a while to assimilate to the, to the weather. Um, but, that tour um, was our first taste of recognizing how business being on tour actually is on a non-DIY, semi-DIY level. Mm-hmm. Like, Face to Face had already had their commercial success. So while they were still a punk band, they were a punk band with, with uh, some real... Real crews and
0: because they're drawing what 15 capacity,
1: um, yeah, probably tops at yeah. that point, yeah, they're, they're probably, ish, yeah, eight ish, yeah, eight to a thousand. Probably it yeah. sounds about right, which grew into bigger crowds, um, on later face to face tours. But this tour was also not a a market tour for them either. And they had just put out a cover album. So this was, it wasn't a big rollout for yeah. them. This was on a smaller level for them. And it was still pretty intense for us. That's this—that's the tour where we realized that you actually had to show up at a certain time. Yeah. And that there was a schedule. Yeah. And that it wouldn't change much. Yeah. And that if you didn't show up on time, people would be very upset with you. Yeah. <laughs> um. And actually, I believe on that tour, it might have been that tour. Uh, that's the first time our van broke down.
0: Okay. Where do you break down at?
1: Uh, we were in New Orleans. and Oh, no, no, no. Oh, man. Is this all the same tour? Could be. All right. So, uh, yeah, we were in New Orleans, and we had busted a tire. And um, JP was our roadie. Jacob P. Sakamoto, um, was our roadie. And uh, it was probably our first time being in New Orleans, so I think people wanted to party. Sure. And uh, I think we didn't realize that our tire, our t- our trailer tire had gotten busted on the way in. Okay. And uh, um, that that was the the first sleeping on the side of the road in French Quarter with your your... Rody puking out the window, having to sleep there overnight—experience that that we've that we've had. Um, and at that but it show, wouldn't be the last. I mean, it wouldn't be the last. <laughs> I mean, of course, we were like late to that show. We were late to every show. Um, honestly, I think we might have broke down before that. Um, all these breaking down stories are kind of shuffling through my brain, but the big breakdown would have been in Mobile, Alabama. Our transmission blew up. And I think we might have missed a couple shows already. Mm. And uh, I think we were just barely making it to, to New Orleans to make that show. And I remember face-to-face uh Rhodey literally carrying my 810 cabinet by himself over his shoulder like a monster. A savage. Very savage. Um, so yeah, that whole tour was a big eye-opener for us to to realize that we couldn't just be doing whatever the hell we wanted whenever we wanted. Yeah. Unless you (laughs) want to
0: be playing like the, the Wyoming South Dakota circuit the rest of your life. Basically. Yeah. Like you got to shape it up. Yep. (laughs) So you jump right back in and start writing and recording for
1: diagram. Uh, I believe so. I think we did a lot of touring on, on sadness. Um,
0: they're only two years apart, the records. Yeah. So you toured a lot. Toured for a year.
1: I think we, we toured pretty heavily on that record. Yeah. We did a lot of support stuff. We did we did uh some some headlining stuff. And then uh yep. Uh
0: didn't didn't you guys get robbed one night while Max was actually sleeping in the van?
1: We got oh yeah, that time. That's later on in the no motive uh time timeline. But yes, that let's, did let's, happen.
0: Let's tell the story so we don't forget.
1: Uh, we were on the Andrew WK tour in two thousand f- uh, something four, maybe, and um, we were in New York City playing Irving Plaza, and it's not a fun block to try to park at. Um, somehow, we got stuck parking in like the red or something like that. Yeah. Oh wait, maybe that's a different band. I think we found a parking spot anyway. We were parked, luckily, right outside. The venue, mm-hmm. like you go out of the dressing room, f- exit, and f- her van fancy. is right there, <laughs> super fancy. Um, and uh, that's funny because I'm thinking about the time that Nick Grande had to drive around in circles while the Warriors played at Irving Plaza because they didn't have anywhere to park the whole, the the whole en- show, literally the entire the entire set. <laughs> Grande drove around in circles, and here is no motive, just with the. Front parking spot to later be rele- revealed why it sucked. So he was asleep <laughs> in the van by, I don't know, 11. Max is sleeping. Yeah. With his girlfriend at the time. They are asleep in the back. And I think we, over the years, just assume that if the door of the van's going to open, it's one of us opening it. Yeah. Why would we ever wake up or check every time the door is being opened? You yeah. know, so I think this is the case of one of that happening.
0: He just slept through it because it was a normal thing.
1: Yeah. And they lifted all kinds of stuff. Like we, uh, we rented a band ago a band. Yeah. I think that's the name of the company. And, uh, they stock them with X boxes and like screens from that hang from the top. They, they took both the X boxes. Jesus. Um, I think all of Max's clothing <laughs> um our manager Kent he got his laptop stolen and uh his personal stuff as well so that was yeah. the second time
0: The only time that someone tried to rob us we were in Vancouver we sp- we spent the night I feel like we spent the night outside of Aram's house and it was like in the morning I think and Ryan slept in the van because every every time we stay somewhere, someone always has to sleep in the van so we wouldn't get robbed. Yep. And uh, yeah, some guy like it was one of those sliding like the skinny sliding window. So you can only reach your arm in like he slid it open and was like reaching in, like fishing for backpacks and shit. <laughs> and Ryan just beat the shit out of his <laughs> arm with like one we used to carry Damn. those grocery dividers. Yeah. You know, like the rubber yeah, grocery yeah. dividers? Yeah. No, one, yeah, stick. yeah, no one would know that it was like a weapon, but like, yeah, he just beat the shit out of this dude's arm. Like that's it. He didn't get a
1: backpack. Get fuck out. <laughs> get out. So Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, the the robbery thing has followed me. Unfortunately. But
0: yeah. When else did you get robbed?
1: Uh the first no tour, our first night in Canada. I think Max might have talked about it. We got robbed in Winnipeg. Luckily for us, the very kind people over there um got money together and tried to help us out as much as they could. Learning lesson that we obviously didn't learn from. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So you do all this touring, you come back, and now you're approaching your second album. Yeah. Are you going to start participating more in the writing process of this one?
1: I think I might have wrote one song on this record.
0: Okay. Um, and how do you attack it differently? Because now you're like, no one have changed their sound on the last record. Now you're doing a second record. You're settling into the style. You have you have to have more confidence because you've been touring off the record, feeling good. Yeah. Um,
1: I, I, I think that we, uh, as Evident on sadness, there being only two fast songs, that was like the, the big change, right? Because mm-hmm. the band had already released a, a new school punk record that was real fast and the band's origins were extremely fast. Yeah. Um, but I guess that maybe our surroundings helped shape where the band was going.
0: Because, well, those two songs are kind of out of place on that record, anyway. Don't you think?
1: Yeah, they're 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 the oldest oldest songs that made that record. Mm-hmm. You know, they were those songs were being played before I was in the band, so yeah. it all makes sense, right? Um, so with, with diagram, I think our our that's when Blink One Eighty Two broke, right? Okay, um, and pop punk really really started taking off and. I don't think it was a conscious thing that we were like, let's be poppier. Yeah. It's just, those were our surroundings. We, we had been playing with, with new school punk bands. Yeah. That's like the world we lived in. Right. Mm-hmm. And it was either that or, or like the, the like second wave of emo or whatever. Um, being on vagrant uh, was just kind of, I don't know, ironic. Cause it wasn't like we were, Trying to make music that would fit that record label, mm-hmm. um, and and the and the label was signing all kinds of different sounding bands. So um, it was an interesting time because pop punk was just really, really going for it. And I think at that point in time, um, we we were just taking whatever tours would come to us, you know. But those tours were were well, it's hard to remember now, but I think we did like a couple strung out tours face to face tours we played with unwritten law um m x p x so like the world and and we played with blink and so that whole world was obviously influencing us and sure. and I think that's why diagram is a is a popular record as a whole, but um That's, that's, I think that's it for that. I'm not really sure why else it would have been so, so poppy. I think also Trevor produced that record as well. And he, you know, I think he's always at some sort of pop. Trying to up
0: your melody game.
1: Yeah. Um, So that's kind of the timing of all that was, was kind of perfect, I guess, because that led to yet more support tours.
0: Yeah. And, Cause that record is received even better than the first record. Yeah. Right. That popularity was,
1: that was the, the record, I guess that, um, I remember reading something like on OC weekly or one, of, one of those old, uh, free magazine, mean street or something like mm-hmm. that. Like Mark Hoppus had a top 10 of 2001 mm-hmm. and diagram made it to that, to that list. Sick. And we're like, Oh, we made it, <laughs> but yeah, that was a, uh, it was interesting. Yeah. You
2: shut the fuck up. Hey, I don't, I'm just I'm <laughs> listening in.
1: <man. laughs> I think as soon as we got uh, into the whole, once we got really established in the pop punk thing, I think we, some of us in the band, quickly started to not enjoy pop punk music as a whole as much as we used to
0: like as a fan but not as you're still backing your songs
1: yeah we i mean we we enjoy playing our songs i think there's some songs on that record that we'll never desire to play but i mean that goes with every album right but um
2: how'd you guys end up with the song on the surfing video game
1: that's all courtesy of vagrant they they managed to get us on trans world surf and uh it got it. Got us a lot of attention. Did, is that a
0: song off this album?
1: Yeah, there's two songs: um, "Give Me Strength" and uh, "Going Numb" are on that video game, and it was a popular game. There's,
0: yeah, I heard about the royalties, definitely,
1: <laughs> uh, or lack thereof. <laughs> <That's fine. laughs> I think uh, for whatever whatever amount of money we spent making our last record on on okay. Vagrant, I think that will just be uh, perpetually in debt and we'll just be paying that off by our royalties that came that we never saw
0: that music video
1: brand new day oh wait no wait what music video did we make for on the third record oh yeah that's a hell of a video yeah that's a yeah that's a,
0: a hell of a budget
1: yeah that was not a cheap video and it couldn't look any more extremely dated for early 2000 <laughs> album oh man it's crazy like
0: you're playing in front of a volcano or something
1: dude like <laughs> that usage of the green screen couldn't have been any more dated yeah then if you like if you watch that video now it's hilarious The
0: song's a ripper though
1: <laughs> yeah it's
0: so after diagram I've been looking through the, some of the stuff that you recorded. You've now moved your studio, like that rehearsal space in Ventura. Yeah You're set up there.
1: We did, we did demoing for both those Vagrant records that we talked about. Yeah. I recorded Warriors, War as Hell.
0: Yeah, you do the final In Control record yep. in 03, and then the, the little 7-inch or EP thing, mm-hmm. Kayfabe Memories. Yep. Um, and then yeah, you do the Warriors in two thousand four.
1: And I do Vendetta a couple times. Oh wait, no, we do one Vendetta. That is then? a Vendetta.
2: Is that a two thousand three?
0: Yeah, it had have been right then, huh? Yeah. Because we start. I oh we, so now we got Verity. We we skipped the, oh. the start of of Retaliate. Uh,
2: right. Yeah. Because O two demo at the spot in Ventura. Palmer. That's right. We did oh, a demo. Yeah.
0: And oh yeah, okay. So this is funny. <laughs> you're right. So that you you're in there in O two. Because Retali does a demo, and this is really funny, because Matt couldn't play a fast beat. Oh, well, that's right. Backwards. Yeah. Yeah, it was backwards. And the Retali, on that demo, we have two songs in the fast part, but after the fast part, there's a break. And remember, Matt couldn't do the fast part. So we were going to have Roger play jump the in. fast part. <laughs> yeah. And then Matt could jump in and play the slip part. He wouldn't do it. And Matt's like, hell no. Fuck no. That was like the first stand no. like, Matt took in his life. Ever. ever? ever. <laughs> you guys always pick on him and shit. No. And he was like, nope, I'm doing this. Yeah, he did it. So yeah, that's O2.
1: So you're in there in O 2 I've been torturing Matt since 2002. Absolutely. Jesus. Oh. continues tonight. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> So
0: yeah, and but but the War Is Hell record is like a legit record. You're like
1: that's my first. That's my first record. Yeah, like that, trying to that people knew outside of Ventura County. Yeah,
0: and and spending I'm sure spending,
1: spending Vendetta fans like in Europe and like maybe we'll see. But you know, well that
0: In Control record doesn't sound great,
1: <laughs> man. I mean, I'll just go ahead and say that I don't think that I made anything sound good until like the past f- five years or something
0: <laughs> <laughs> but what about no but the warriors record sounds good it's a legit lp no
1: yeah i mean for the time and how well much I, I mean i, I think that it. the
0: first the first retaliate record sounds great it sounds like beefy right and that's oh six yeah so yeah. that's two years after the the warriors but let's jump into the warriors so yeah you're okay um because this is a band that matters a lot to you even, you've been in and out of the band. You've engineered yeah. everything.
1: I mean, thanks to thanks to Motive and the Warriors, the both of those bands have allowed me to do a lot. Like the, the Warriors Traveling the World. The Warriors got me overseas. Yeah. Like no Motive we we saw America and Canada more than I could ever imagine. Right. Yeah. And we got to play Hawaii and just those are that. that's that band and and getting my my touring life underway with that whole experience was perfect pretty much you know mm-hmm. um and in the warriors uh being and i I knew Javi since he was a little kid because he was very close friends with uh Jonathan Huff, who is the younger brother of one of my good friends Kyle huff and we all went to Santa Clara. So I saw Javi grow up basically. And we all we always knew that we had this shared musical thing going on. We were all part of the same uh punk hardcore community and eventually he uh hit me up. He he kept me in the loop about the Warriors, but it wasn't until they were gonna make war as hell that he hit me up seriously saying, I think it's time we, we work together.
0: Well, he didn't join until maybe right before that, right? Or maybe was he on the seven inch before that?
1: I think he was. He was okay. Yeah, he he was there through. I I I know he's not an original member, but he's basically an original member. That's like well, he's an original member
0: from when they
1: were good, from when they were established. Yeah, when they like started recording, started right?
0: being like a a respectable band. Yeah, not like a. They weren't a demoe band.
1: Yeah, basically. Yeah. Um. But yeah, that that band. Uh, I was lucky. I've been lucky to to stay musically active because of because of that band, and obviously the the all the other bands. But um, they've they've continued to uh, present new experiences that that like I have have not experienced before you know like this last warriors record that we made um this is the first time venturing into trying to make some sort of documentary or being at the helm of of making music videos you know yeah like this last warriors record is the most diy thing i think we've ever done as a whole um just working with with ourselves and our Team that we have, but um, between that and um, seeing seeing the world and putting out a bunch of records now at this point, it's been it's been fun. And yeah, I haven't um, haven't been in the band the whole time, but I did uh, produce the first two records, and then I played on the first uh, Victory release and that's uh, the one album Cameron Webb produced, um, which that experience was one of the most uh, eye-opening uh, educational recording experiences ever. It, Explain like, why. I I had gone to... So Motive stopped touring in 2005, and I moved back to Orange County to take um, recording... Uh, like a recording course at Long Beach city college. And, um, I just wanted to know like the technical things about recording. Mm-hmm. And, and that was, that was an awesome experience. Made some great friends there. Um, but it wasn't until I worked with Cameron and he had, this was my first time being enough of a recording engineer to, to be able to pay attention to see how a, the people working in the studio, like working with Trevor and Chad Blinman, the engineer. Of it was those, too early those, in your career. It was too early. I was too worried about being a bass player, mm-hmm. and um, and then all the records that we made, that I made on my own. It was just me, just trying, you know, sure. just going with it and trusting the gut and all that stuff. But
0: but this is you know your shit, and you're watching a guy that's better than you. Yeah, I
1: mean, this is where I'm. St- Honestly, where I'm starting to get a feel for things because okay. before before I went to recording, before I took recording classes, I literally had no idea anything other than just listening to what sounds were being made by me twisting knobs on stuff. Sure, like I didn't know anything technical at all. Mm-hmm. Um, way ignorant. And uh, recording school kind of helped enhance some of that stuff, and um. The, that's when I learned how to use pro tools and right around that time uh, i record i worked with Cameron who was heavily into pro tools he was the person to, that showed me how to edit drums like that was my contribution as an engineer on that record was editing some of the drums or like engineering some of the guitar recordings while Cameron would go record marshall in the studio so uh it was it was i learned a lot and, um, that's probably been the mo- more educational than the, the two years that I went to Long Beach City College.
0: That one record. That one record. That's insane. And that's in 2011. So we that, jumped way ahead.
1: That's in 2007 or nine. Which one? What G- genuinely sells about rage? Nine, I think.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I forgot how to. I forgot to put it on the list. That was all good. It's on the list that I forgot. (laughs) (laughs) We got it in there. Yeah, I thought that was to see how you are.
1: No. Genuine Sense is is me on bass and uh, um, Cameron producing, which I believe after that tour, um, after I played bass on that, Danny uh, Lopez joined the band. And then eventually uh, there was like a situation where he couldn't go to Europe. And so um I I got to go. It was tight because it was my first time going to Australia and in Europe with Parkway and uh Cancer Bats and Comeback Kid.
0: Is that when the when the girl asked to get it chucked in a shitta?
1: <laughs> um that might have been uh just a really famous story that we learned while we were in Australia. Yeah.
2: <laughs> learned. So
1: so
3: what what
0: what, 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 well, what year did you go to Europe the first time?
1: <laughs> I think that was
0: uh, 07?
1: That was 07. When did we? Was go? it
0: before or after Mexico?
1: That was after Mexico. Two thousand seven is one of the greatest years of well, we, my we, life. We go in two thousand
0: eight. Oh, yeah. I think no, oh no, seven. 07. 07? Yeah. Okay, I, I had to go back and like look at the Facebook photos. I
1: thought it was oh eight. That is my favorite cluster of time the uh fall of 07 into the winter because we went to mexico which was fucking tight that was awesome um
0: that was a whirlwind huh oh yeah it
2: Absolutely.
0: was it was wild it was one of the first tours that renee did respect yeah. to renee he's been uh doing those mexico jaunts for american bands now for Still going what, 12, yeah, 12 years now because yeah. we were one of the first ones that went and Cheers. uh yeah, and it was Remember how much walking we did? Dude, that day Mexico yeah. City. I tell
1: people that we walked Oklahoma. for like literally ten hours straight.
0: We had to have because we We played Tijuana on Friday and then we flew from Tijuana to Mexico City overnight. And so we got to Mexico City. We didn't fly into Mexico City. We flew into like the little airport outside of town. Right. Yep. It's up on the hill. It's ooh, the ooh. other little one. We Everyone, drove in. Yeah. And then we it's drive all the in. Ice houses. Oh, yeah. yeah. That was weird. Like all the, the man on fire type houses. Right. You ooh. know? Yeah. And we, I mean, we showed up at like five in the morning. And so we walked all fucking day. Right. Literally. Yeah. Cause and we got drunk out in front of like the government building. Yep. Like in that little bar. And then we went to. <laughs> The club that we didn't get to play, we went to the
2: other club that we Speaking did play. That, remember what happened to us at that first venue we were supposed to
1: play? Yeah, there was like still water on the floor of... This is all concrete, right?
0: It was fucked. It was like right where the pit would have been. It was like it was like a puddle. Yeah. Show up to the show.
2: There's no one there. And we're on the a stage. Show. You what and are are, I are standing
1: on the stage and some dude crawls out of the wall.
2: Yes. So we went to go take a nap. Really? We're to go take a nap. You guys are
0: we, napping in that room you know, that we took that photo, right? And there's like people like rappelling down the walls. Some, <laughs> like down the walls <laughs> some guy singing there was like, like zombies. table
2: flipped over on the floor and I'm just nodding off. And I thought I was sleeping in and out. And all of a sudden I see the table on the floor pop up. And at this point in time, now I'm just scared. I have my eyes closed. Yeah. <laughs> kind of faking sleeping. <laughs> and some fucking maniac came out from some floor below us and he starts singing Disarmed by the oh, Smashing yeah. Pumpkins. <laughs> That's right. I'm looking at Roger. Me and Roger are both fucking kind of weirded <laughs> out. I don't remember that guy just disappeared back Didn't down he there. Speak
1: perfect English or yeah. something? Dude,
0: like, it was yeah. it was fucking that was real weird because that was like it felt like a crazy like squatter house. Like, it right. felt like a like a like very like dark carnival. It was weird fucking, uh there was some weird things going yeah, on in there. It man. was fucking weird, right? But, but yeah. dude, I walked like two blocks down the street and I was like inside a Barnes and Noble. Uh, really? Yeah like yeah there was like a nice ass bookstore like
2: two <laughs> like two blocks away it was like should have napped there I
0: know literally like I went and had a scone you know it was sick <laughs> and then we go to that we go to that other show pool play. Hall. yeah and this is after walking around all day being drunk like right. sobering up you remember, like I was like I fell asleep on a couch, and I wake up and like there's uh, that fucking big old fat guy like on top of me almost like I don't yeah like, he's like you. I don't like you. I'm yeah. like
2: what? <laughs> remember they weren't gonna let us play that
1: show.
0: Oh uh, yeah, I mean that's a that's a crazy story. I don't yeah. I don't know if it gets told here. Nah. Yeah,
1: but well, we did play on a stage, and I huh. did break the snare stand, and a nice human being held the snare for me while I smashed it. Yes, <laughs> it was. Terrible!
2: I played out of a combo
1: amp. <laughs> we played. You guys played out of bedroom yeah. amps,
2: straight up. Well, if there's, I don't know if there's any pictures from that show, but if, if you look closely, I'm oh, only there? wearing uh, one sock because I had to wipe my ass with the other one before we because uh, before we played, I had to take a shit. There was, there was no like pee, you. no TP.
1: So. Weren't we playing on top of pool tables <laughs> with like with plywood, plywood on top across, of them?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thanks take to Kuko for saving back. our life right. and getting us on that show. Yep, with respect. Oh, <laughs> oh man, yeah, that was that was a wild weekend. Yep, I can't wait to go back. Yeah, I can't wait. We're gonna do it, right? Yep. Oh, Ho- hopefully, right around the time this podcast <laughs> comes <Right>? out. <laughs> That's what's up. Yeah. So
1: yeah, after that tour, I got to go to uh, Australia. So rad. Yeah, and then after like that, literally went. We went from Australia to San Francisco to Frankfurt to, to do another tour. So that was, and then after that tour was over, I went to the Philippines with <laughs> with my family. <laughs> Jesus. Dang.
0: Frankfurt. Oh, Roger, I wish you were in Frankfurt with us.
1: <laughs> oh, man. Good times. Yep. Things that time happen when the, yep. you just gotta.
0: What, what happened? Were you on tour with the Warriors? And- I
1: think I was on tour with RX. Oh, I was a working man.
0: Yeah, yeah. We're referring to retali going to Sweden, and uh, Roger
2: couldn't go with us. Heartbreaking. I know. I'd say Mexico and Sweden were like the two best times yeah. for our short lived career. <laughs> <laughs> Just gotta kind of, kind of find a new,
1: new country uh, to terrorize. 17 years. 17
2: years, yeah. <laughs> I know.
0: I know. I mean, you gotta go somewhere else. Um, do you remember anything about recording Coup d'etat?
1: Uh yep yeah. I remember that we recorded it down the road at my old really terrible practice space yeah um you could push the walls in
0: no we were... which spot did was we that? yeah okay I I recorded vocals in Ventura
1: you did record the vocals in Ventura okay but we did the music over at that terrible place
0: yeah I didn't go yeah you did it where they you did the vendetta right mm-hmm. where you did the second vendetta yeah oh, okay
1: okay Gemini yeah
0: because oh, yeah. I don't think I went
1: very. Great RAM place, just actual terrible rooms, but yeah, whatever. Made some records there, all of which I wish I could go back and remix real bad. You would
0: you would you you would remix Coup d'etat? Yeah, if I could, I would. I wouldn't, I think it sounds perfect.
1: It's literally triggered drums, there are no real drums. Yeah,
0: that's cool. Matt wasn't that good. Matt Matt wasn't that good yet. Punch him
1: in. So much learning that we did together. Yeah. You guys are my guinea pigs.
0: Yeah. How would you juxtapose recording that record versus We Are One?
1: Mm-hmm. Um well Coup d'etat, I think I was still I was still getting to know everybody's musical ability and we we played it.
0: <laughs> what? How, how, how would you grade Verity's music that? <laughs> In 2019
1: Well he wrote some songs He wrote some songs some fucking songs He wrote some songs But yeah <laughs> Making Coup d'Etat was I I was just trying to figure out How I could make things sound As relevant as the other things That were being The other albums that were being recorded In what 2006 Yeah And like that's probably around the time triggers were starting to be the norm, mm-hmm. and I had literally no idea what I was doing, and so that's why it sounds like that. So when it came to We Are One, well,
0: that was Frederick's favorite album of 2006. Remember, he no. told us that <laughs> when we were in Sweden, he's like, "Kudeta, best record 2006." I was like, "What about We Are One?" He's like, "It's just a good record." Yeah. <laughs>
2: People have some funny taste, man. You know, you'd be somewhere and your least favorite song off your album. Someone will tell you that's my favorite.
1: Yeah, fuck, God, I don't even like that song. <laughs> <laughs> it's the lyrics, bro. That's yeah, right. It's true. Um, we are one. I had recorded a bunch of records that were uh, sample heavy. Mm-hmm. A lot of so, I think at that point in time, I got burnt on the world world of samples, and I didn't want to do a. a You know, part two of what happened on the first record. And so um, it was in my head that we're going to make that record sound more raw. Which, I, yeah, it's more raw. That's why you let me record bass. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you, 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 you played bass on the first one, though, right? Oh, but it's just
1: uh, all like... I is, don't think he played uh, bass on the first no? one. No? I think uh, Andy played bass.
0: Oh, fuck. I can't take the blame for that one. Wait,
1: did, did Charlie play guitar on the first Retaliate record, or did Andy play all the guitar and bass?
0: I don't know. I don't Andy, think I went. Cause did Because you guys all. fucked up some tempos, oh, but yeah. then I couldn't complain because I didn't go. <laughs> Yeah, no, Andy
1: How all, on think, earth did yeah. that become okay? What do you mean? Like, we this recorded fun the band. music of Coup d'etat and you weren't there?
0: <laughs> I, I don't know what was up with that. Like, was I just busy? Maybe. I don't know. That, that seems really dumb, right? It's weird. Are you yeah. sure you weren't there? Yeah, because like... Uh, what is it the fucking oh yeah song. there's like Dad, a couple Dad, songs Dad, Dad, are Dad, too Dad, s-
2: right? yeah. slow like the our hate breeze song should have been different yeah right? that yeah. should have
0: been more uptempo and then the breakdown on infamy should have been like more uptempo too it says mass playing to a click track
3: mm-hmm.
0: right but whatever hey man whatever
2: <laughs> so Rec- you records think, are just you uh, only played
0: bass on the second record
2: and the uh seven inch on oh, the seven inch did I do anything on thorns?
0: I don't know uh, so. No. Probably Because <laughs> the bass is too low on the second record. And I was like, we got to... Now like, you know why. Someone's got to play.
1: There's a lot of things I learned on, on that record because I wanted to make it dry. Like literally, there's no, there's no effects on the whole record. Okay. Nothing. And there's no triggers on the drums. But that was the first record, or the second record that I recorded... And uh, used, so Pro Tools at that point in 2009 had this thing where you uh, you can, what they call it, put into warp mode. Kay. And so you could take, this is drum editing, now at like a second generation of like advancement. So you could click all the hits of the drum and then snap them into time. Whereas before, what? you would have to like literally, like cutting tape. Yes. Just... What cut? What cutting tape is? But like in a digital, visual way. Ugh, dude, you had to
0: fix our drums. Well, uh... <laughs> <laughs> what about when he does that sick fucking Pennywise like fill though? Which one? <laughs> on like uh, you will never understand me. Like on the fast part before that. Uh, Remember he goes backwards. It's like the backwards Pennywise. Fill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It yeah. took him like a million times to get it.
1: I've held Matt's hand a couple of times with the computer. It's all good, though. He's really good.
0: Very strong, man. <laughs> this is, like, hurting me. He's no. a strong man. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: he played as hard as he could, man. You <laughs> um played as hard as we could, man. He, uh, no, Matt did great. It was just, I had this, I still do, have this obsession with, like, perfect tempo drums. Mm-hmm. And... That's just what I did back then. But on that record in particular, this warp thing. So what happens when you you edit drums in literally a quarter of the time, it would take you to do it the normal way. Yeah. And blasting through all this stuff, right? And I go to mix the record finally. And at that point, I realize every time you hit a cymbal, the the decay is totally jacked up. Mm-hmm. It doesn't sound normal at all. Yeah. It's changing the artifact of of the actual file and so if you listen to we are one there's hardly any symbols in there for that reason oh. and if you listen to Gravemaker's uh ghosts among men album same thing that's this what happened with those records
0: because you record them around the same time yeah so which one's better
1: hey man <laughs> Come on, man! They're different. <laughs> I love them both. I help write both. It's all good. Um, but I, I. How about
0: Thorns? Thorns versus that Gravemaker record. <laughs> <laughs> well,
3: <laughs>
1: Thorns is Thorns is the greatest thrash hardcore record that was ever made. So,
0: hey, jump on board! Jump on board! Hey, man! There's always room on that retaliate train. Right, get what, it where you fit in. What year
1: did that record come out? Thorns.
0: I think and, 2011.
1: All right, so like we've had a very twenty twenty one. We're gonna give it an honest shot.
0: This, this was our decade, man. <laughs> right. <Yeah.
1: laughs> Best record of 2010.
0: <laughs> Jesus, I'll,
1: I'll remix it and then we'll we'll write it again in 2021.
0: Well, we did that seven inch that had two new songs on it. <laughs> so <that's
1: like laughs> it for ten years.
0: One hit, one filler.
1: You know, it's all good. we're gonna yeah. change it all tonight.
0: Yeah, dude. Yep, yeah, that's for sure. So, you did Beyond the Noise the same year that you did uh, Coup d'Etat, Beyond the Noise for the Warriors. Was that like uber-triggered wow. as well? Was that what? Like super-triggered as well?
1: No, that was actually a very organic record also.
2: You gotta talk a little bit about that one. That was, that's like the most different-sounding Warriors record. Talking on the mic, fool. That's the most different-sounding uh, Warriors <laughs> record of them all.
1: That record sounds like that because, mm, for one, um, Steve Choi helped make that record. Gotcha. He brought the Choi, the Choi world in. Um, He's a but I think the biggest thing was Danny and Donnie had like a specific view, uh, vision for the record. Um, I believe that that record to them was basically a tribute to Siddhartha, the book. And so everything. What is that? To be honest with you, <laughs> what? I, to be honest with you, I, I, I never read Siddhartha. It's a book. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Um, and it kind of uh, chronicles that whole thing, that whole book. Um, so I couldn't tell you anything about the lyrical content, but recording it, we did the drums. We had a bit of a budget. So we did the drums in Ojai, not at the studio that No Motive recorded at, Mm -hmm. but at this other one, and um, uh, drums sounded different because they weren't recorded in a a rehearsal space, but everything else was, and it was recorded uh, at Gemini. And um, that record was interesting because um, War Is Hell was, it seemed like the record that they made as teenagers, as a band. And this was very Danny Donnie focused. And um, I'm not quite sure what Javi might have played on that record, but I believe Danny might have, he might have played every guitar part and bass. I can't remember, but.
0: Now, Danny and Donnie, they they don't always tour with the band, right? They like leave, but then they come in on the recordings?
1: They... This is the last record they made before they left the band. Okay. Yeah. So um that's where my involvement with the band got stepped up a notch because after making Beyond the Noise um that's when Donnie um he hadn't left the band officially but he had taken a job working on a yacht or something in Alaska and he just couldn't say no so um that that, that
0: yacht life.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um Watch it's like a shrimp boat, some crazy fishing thing. Where
0: well, like, you just have to do meth and fish for 18 hours a day?
1: That'd be a cool story. Come up
0: on the yacht, fool.
1: Yeah. um, But that's when I got to do the first tours. Because uh, since Donnie wasn't around, I got to get the experience of touring with Danny, which was really awesome.
0: And you're playing drums.
1: And I'm playing drums, yeah. Um, that was a Canadian tour, mostly Canadian tour with Combat Kid. I think it might have come out here to the Western States, but uh, honestly, couldn't couldn't tell you
0: for sure. This is when the Warriors start stealing all the Retaliate members. <laughs> well,
1: this leads up to that for sure. Um, yeah, after that tour, I think Danny left might have done one more tour, maybe not, but um let's be real, the Warriors have had quite the revolving door of band members.
0: Cause if Danny leaves, then do you switch to bass and then Matt goes on drums?
1: Uh Danny played guitar. So uh they had Charlie? Th- it was a while until they got Charlie because I thought you were talking about Danny Lopez on bass. So oh no, bad. I'm talking about Danny Phillips, sorry. yeah. Okay. Um Danny Lopez didn't didn't enter the pitcher until Genuine sense of outrage, I think. Yeah, because Mike P uh, left the band right when we were making genuine sense of outrage, and that's how I Mikey Warrior. Yeah, (laughs) I I didn't know his last name. (laughs) No, that's Mike P, the barber. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, Mikey Warrior is uh, the younger Phillips brother. Mikey. Oh, yep. There is a younger. Um, but yeah.
0: Uh. So you tour a lot with them.
1: T- two tours, two I think. Tours. Yeah, one was the Can- one was a Canadian Comeback Kid tour, and then I think we did a headlining tour, and uh, that's when we met Parkway Drive. Uh, we took them on their first U.S. tour, and then uh,
0: did he chuck it in a shit to then as well?
1: Not, not quite yet. <laughs> no, I didn't learn about the chucking <laughs> quite yet. Um, that happens later on in life.
2: And am me rag. Chuck it in me shitter. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you too can play. So, uh, and then in 08, you go out with Rx Bandits and you go out in a, in like a management <clears throat> capacity or a stagehand.
1: Uh, that is the tour that they asked me to do front of house. I had done like a really short little tiny run of like San Diego, Arizona and back or something like that. And, I wouldn't even call that being doing sound because, luckily for all of those shows, it was about as complicated as your recording
0: thingy right there. Oh, are you are you nagging my my board, dude?
1: No, I'm saying that it's <laughs> real good for vocals. <laughs> <And> that's it. <laughs> um, but yeah, 2008 was the first uh, tour that I did doing sound for RX. I literally hadn't just like recording. I had literally no idea what I was doing, mm-hmm. but they just trusted that. I I knew the idea of sound enough to to make it translate from recording to to live.
0: Yeah, so explain that process like you you're the guy like in the like in the the theater hall like behind the board. I am and the so, front of house guy. Okay. Yep. So you're walking into these different locations and what is the variance of their equipment?
1: Oh man. In 08 it was it was much wilder than it is now. Now everybody not everybody, but more so now than ever before, you go into venues and there's some sort of digital board. Okay. Which that in it in itself is is a giant game changer because that is opening up the idea of being able to save the settings for something.
0: Do you think that fucks up like old bands like like you know fog hats probably been this is like <laughs> whoever knows you know, like now the fucking Fire guy that fog has been bringing around for oh, forty man. fucking years is like, dude, I don't know what a fucking c d ROM is <laughs> you know
1: the the cool thing about being a sound guy um is first you 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 just figure out how to create a personality that um a a house front a house person will find you semi-believable okay. that you know what you're talking about. Because I, I honestly had to fake it for years before mm-hmm. I could even walk up to a board and feel like I had control over it. Before, it was just like, I get I get what I'm doing, and I, I'm going to try to make this translate in the way that I know based off of being in the studio. But mm. that that you've quickly learn can only get you so far because everywhere you go, it sounds different. Not one room sounds like another. Right. And like you said, uh, the gear isn't going to be consistent and you could be touring with a band with like RX that can play somewhere in the middle of nowhere with like very little of a PA just to get it done. Um, But then they could also be playing like a big stage at Coachella Right. And you got to know how to deal with all of that. And luckily for me, over the years, they they introduced me to a wide level of, of all the, those sort of things. Um,
0: so what's the most intimidating circumstance you walked into in that capacity?
1: The most intimidating would be the first time having to do a headlining set in a city like New York. Where their crowd energy is just off the charts compared to California. Okay. I wish it, like every Californian who is a heavy show goer could go to New York and experience seeing their favorite band in that city compared to their own because it's night and day. It's like that energy that you would see from CBGB shows translates to like huge venues mm-hmm. and that itself was both something that really helped push you into wanting to make it sound a certain way, but at the same time, it's like, man, if you blow this, this is going to be a complete disaster. Yeah, you can
0: really ruin this experience for a thousand people.
1: And there is a venue in Philadelphia that is a great venue, but where they put their mix, where do they put their mix? Area? Is the worst place mm-hmm. ever because it's it's uh, underneath the balcony and the balcony went out another five feet in front of it, mm-hmm. and so you basically couldn't hear most of the PA. Oh. You would hear the subs, and then you would have nine hundred people blocking the sound yeah. from coming to you. So I would have to run out there, where I already don't really have a an idea of like what I'm doing. Like this is one of those rooms right, because where you, you
0: can't turn a knob and see how it affects.
1: There's that, and then there's the 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 whole dynamic of not understanding a room and how y- what you do as a sound guy is going to make that room affect mm-hmm. what you're trying to accomplish. There is, I probably mixed at the TLA four times, and I swear, like the first two times, there that place was like kryptonite to me, and it w- it meant so much to finally have a good mix there that I like had a moment. Yeah, <laughs> because it was the most defeating place to ever do sound. I was like so incredibly upset because, like New York, Philadelphia's crowds out of control. Like they're just party animals, mm-hmm. and I, the I'm doing the worst thing, you know, making it sound questionable. Yeah. In, in my in my ears, which I'm trying to be lenient, you know, and and in that, but um. Luckily, after years of <laughs> being thrown in the fire, I think I, I got a grasp of what what I needed to do for for that band in particular. They're not a they're not like the easiest band to mix either. They've got all kinds of sounds coming from all sure. over the place. It's, it's almost be one like of the they, more difficult bands. They they it's I <laughs> it's almost like they created like a obstacle course for me mixing because sure. at a certain point in time of that band's career they would have a drum set and then two auxiliary drum sets and a trombone player who would play keys and then a bass player who sang and a lead guitar player who sang and maybe played keys and then another guitar player who sang, played guitar and played keys. Was
0: that around the same time that you submitted your resume to Deicide? (laughs) Like, I, I want to do sound. You're my favorite band. <laughs> I mean, you're very monotone. I mean, you're my favorite band.
1: <laughs> Dude, if I could mix a death metal band now, Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. Do you
0: think it would? I mean, it's, you don't want to say that anything's easy, but what would, oh, the, what there, would the dynamic be? That would be?
1: not be easy.
0: Yeah. What, what, how would you approach that?
1: Mixing a death metal band? I would first.
0: In the live setting.
1: I would ask if their drummer plays with triggers and like cross my fingers that they say yes.
0: Okay. And there's a 90% (laughs) chance they do, right?
1: Yeah. And if they do, then tight. Then most likely, because the whole uh, extreme, extremely distorted world of of guitar playing, people like to play uh, amp modelers. They don't play real amps on stage anymore. What does that mean? um, Like there's a company called Kemper um, that that makes a an amp that is di- all digital and it models literally anything you you put the sound through. You could plug in any of my amps like the Mesa Boogie or the uh the the 6505 run that signal into the head uh-huh. and then it it copies it and it's just stored and you have that tone. So but,
0: I can finally sound like Adrian Smith.
1: You could sound like whatever you want. Jesus. Anyway, um, so people use that now. All people, the time. oh yeah, like it's it's normalcy to be a, a huge, not even a huge, being a metalcore band and play amp modelers. It Any is- band that has ears, mm-hmm. you basically can just play whatever you want. And is this cool or lame? Um, I'm the wrong person to ask because, from a sound guy's perspective, it's like you're giving me the gift of a lifetime (laughs) right like you telling me the live the things that are making sound on stage are the drums and the vocals and that's it everything else is just coming through front of house and i can like do whatever i want it's awesome yeah you can make a band sound like an album on stage for sure and it for for being a house guy or a front house guy or a monitor guy you're going to have these things that are going to create consistency everywhere you go. That's why everybody loves it. That's why that whole realm of of uh, live music production exists around that now because of the convenience and the consistency that ha- that occurs using all that stuff. It's crazy. Trust me, it's crazy. Like, I love doing work with RX because they play real amps, and either the amp's going to go out or it doesn't. Yeah. It's not like you got a computer on stage and now you got to figure out what on earth on the computer is broken. Imagine that. Yeah. Imagine going through that, like a to try to figure out what's going on or like, Oh, the tube broke Wait, Get another amp.
0: I wonder if there's a bunch of like punk than the new dudes that are like learning to hack right now. They're just going to hack all the bands that
1: <laughs> they use all this shit. The thing that's hilarious about it all is that... Anarchy. It's not even like a... Here's the downfall of, of music, but at the same time, a real creative way of existing. Guitar players that use this equipment, you would think that their tone is sacred to them, yeah. right? Like it's their thing. But sure. now all these... Guitar players sell their sound, uh-huh, and you can buy their tone, and it's
0: nuts you're just what kind of marketplace do they sell that on?
1: Oh, I don't know i've see I see answers they ads. sell it through their web, yeah, okay, I see you know anybody who has some form of social media is gonna get that
0: well okay. Can we buy the uh, Mortician hacked up for barbecue tone?
1: <laughs> <laughs> we'll run that through the Kemper. Yeah, dude. I, I
0: got a list of tones I want to get. Honestly, How like, about, can we, can we buy the, the Land of No Toilets tone? Hell yeah, I'm down. <laughs> that is the worst sounding tone ever. I want the control tone. Dude, good luck. For which one, another no, year?
1: No, the album in control. <laughs> oh, well, that sounds good. <laughs>
0: That sounds good. That's clean. Those dive bombs, dude. Yeah. Hitting it. That's some Casilla shit right there.
1: Yep. I want that. So
0: let's talk about the end of No Motive.
1: The end of no motive is, 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 is get
0: your take. Never ending.
1: Um I think
0: Well the end of your <clears throat> the end of your active run before you come back and do Winter long in a few shows yeah. and before you do the stuff that you're gonna do this year.
1: So the the um me moving back to Orange County is all because I I told Max and, and Jeremy and Jeff that I just didn't wanna well,
0: let's talk about that last tour then, when you borrow the in control van. Yeah in exchange for I had you guys give me an iPod. That was <laughs> so sick. tight, dude. Yeah. Pretty even trade. I know. Well I wanted an iPod so bad. What year know. was that? I don't know iPods was, were pretty hot uh, back 2014 in 2014, maybe. No, so. It was like no, oh, no,
1: no. What am I saying? 24, 22,004. Okay, I
0: yeah, think. yeah, yeah. It was like the second version of iPod. Not bad, something like that. It was sick. Hell yeah! It was
1: the it was the good uh, rectangle one.
0: Yes, it was yeah. white. How many gigabytes? Mm, maybe eight or sixteen. I don't know. I don't know. Enough. <laughs> it was. I mean, because, it was kind like, of a big. It, it was fucking mind blowing. It, it might have been like eighty. No, I don't think I had an 81 until like I had like it got a little bit thinner.
1: Oh, okay. Like the
0: next one I bought for myself.
2: Tight. Yeah. But, they all kind of break, right?
0: Yeah. yeah. It's fucking Apple, right? Uh, yeah. They have a self destruct button on them. Yep. It's the fucking worst company in the world. <laughs> you know? It's fucking bullshit, it's, uh, right? Yeah. Um. But yeah. And you guys went around in the, you got a, we got, got a the IC in the, van. In the Nard van. Got, got we just a,
1: all really wanted a fucking. P, laying down. You wanted to pee through, out
0: the pee hole through the pee hole. Did everyone try it?
1: Um, I don't think everybody tried it. I know I did not try it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have much to work with, you know. What I'm saying, <laughs> I uh, know, especially
0: with like the cold breeze like coming through the hole on your dick. Just well, you remember the
1: cold breeze that was coming through the uh, the driver underneath yes. the driver? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think we called you on tour. We're like, hey, man. Everything's working good, but there's this crazy like amount of air that's coming through the like the lower driver's side, and you're like, you got a towel, you know, just stick a towel like, <laughs> <laughs> it's good to go. Yeah, and it, that
0: was a full hole, dude. Like you hit a puddle, your legs get wet.
1: Yeah, <laughs> what was that?
0: I don't know. Oh, it was it like was a hole that you couldn't see. It was just like, it was like a labyrinth down there. I don't know. We
1: all felt very blessed to be driving El Capitan. <laughs> I'll tell you that much.
0: I know, it was nice. Because you guys never would play shows with us, so but it was nice that we could, yeah. we, could we could share you guys through our van.
1: We yeah. we definitely experienced some fun weather on that tour. Yeah. There was a moment where we were in Austin and uh <laughs> Jeremy's fond of buying uh, knickknacks that, that don't exist in Oxnard. Uh-huh. So like he, he's bought a, a gigantic Zippo lighter. Which I bet he still has right now. <laughs> and then he bought a leather jacket in Austin, and he he took out <laughs> 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 he took out his per diems for like a week, <laughs> <Fuck>. <laughs> a week's worth of per diems, so he could buy a leather jacket. And uh, we split that night. I went and hung out with Kyle and uh, stayed at his house, and then he drove me back to where the rest of them were staying at one of our friend's houses and it had rained that night and he must have forgotten that there's a little hole in the IC van I get back to put my backpack and his leather jacket is laying on the sofa and there's a giant puddle of water right in the middle that's right, resting existing because of the jacket meanwhile those dudes are sleeping inside, that was a good time yeah. We, we enjoyed that, van. We had, yeah. we had a couple uh some interesting moments on that tour for sure. But yeah.
0: Is that what broke it up? Was that the thing that no, took it over? No, that's not the limit? that's
1: not the thing that took it over the limit. It's just a culmination of years of 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 uh working at it and and uh you know with with no motive we had nothing but the the sweetest intentions of of trying to to uh, steer the ship the way we would have liked it, but um, I think some of us have some some uh, life ideals that we were at the time, at least, really not willing to waver on. Like we didn't want to. There was nothing we were ever going to to do that we didn't feel as an entire band that we would be comfortable doing like we were asked to do an everclear tour. Mm. And and at that point in time we were we were just could, all of us No way. Are you serious? Like, Why though? What? It, it makes just, that that tour just,
0: makes as much sense as Andrew WK.
1: It just wasn't in our hearts. Yeah. We were so moody as a band. Yeah. Like you you said like what's the difference between Andrew WK and and uh And Everclear. I mean, on the Andrew W.K. tour, we knew we were being lumped. Like, it was a very strange lineup to begin with. I believe he, at that point in time, at least, he picked his, he chose who, who, you know, he made the decision who would be on these tours. And so that first tour was supposed to be Andrew W.K., Sworn Enemy, The Locust. And no motive, and uh, sworn enemy got dropped off of it or something like that, and they got replaced with Jersey, a Canadian band that sounded reminiscent of of Rancid, and so, and then the, to close out the bill, it it was a band called Fireball Ministry that is a straight up Black Sabbath sounding band, so <laughs> wild. Fireball Ministry, yeah. No Motive, The Locust, yeah. Jersey, and UWK. Like, nothing made sense. Random. Very random. And while it sounded interesting to us, and at that point in time, we were, bands were doing all kinds of weird tours, mm-hmm. like No Motive, the, the Vagrant America tour went from being this real cohesive thing of, of bands like No Motive, Hot Rod Circuit, Dashboard, Alkaline Trio, Tour Saves a Day, you know, and then you jump a couple years and it feels like you the it we created the new generation. And that's that vagrant tour was motive from Omni Ashes, Reggie and the Full Effect, Alkaline Trio. And it felt so different at that time, just like this Andrew WK tour felt like we could just put anything together and throw out the wall and see what happens. Yeah. And collectively <laughs> on that whole which was a long tour, it was like f- f- uh, somewhere between 5 or 7 week long tour. All like we'd be hanging out with the locusts being like what are we doing here? What? What's happening? Like
0: Yeah, because the kids are there just for the main event.
1: That's it. It was the classic Metallica thing, yeah. you know, where they might as well be turning their backs on you and flipping you off while you're playing. Right. It did not go over well for anybody, and uh, whatever you know that 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 led to the end. That's when we started to really question like our dedication to long tours and being a full time band because we we uh, we had to endure a couple things, you know, like relationships that. Some of us were in really soured our our outlook on life to the point of not being able to tour um nine eleven happened while we were on tour oh yeah
3: Tell we were in nine eleven story we were in
1: denver we were doing our we were doing a headlining tour with a band called Fairview from Orange county, and uh things were going great, just like a short run and um yeah uh we were actually staying at our friends. Our friend uh, Ross's house in Denver. He he was a friend that we made in S- South Dakota, and at the time he was living in Denver, and we had a nice party. Um, that night I went to a record store at midnight and bought "God Hates Us All" mm-hmm. by Slayer, and I popped that CD in my disc man and fell asleep to it, and I got woken up r- pretty damn early. Yeah, to Ross saying, "Yo." There's something crazy happening. Like he was at a loss for words, you know? And we're all hungover and not really coherent. And me being blind, I'm like shoveling from looking for my glasses. And I get them on and looking at the TV, and there's like the World Trade Center on fire or smoking. And I'm just like, what? What's happening? Yeah. For the next. Two hours. We're just. It's. We're not even really. We're not really taking it in yet. It's. It's almost like it's not really happening. Yeah. Well, no one. Just no one on knew how to put it
0: into words. It's like. Uh,
1: it's just on TV. You don't know what. What like this is really and happening. And it doesn't seem real.
0: Yeah. yeah. Have you ever heard that? Like. Um, have you ever heard like a story? I don't know if this is real or not, but I heard that sometimes like the natives, like when they would see like the Spanish conquistadors like coming in. Like they didn't even see them until they are like on land right in front of them, yeah. because like their brain couldn't—they've never seen a boat before, yeah. It's a, so like just, it's like filter through their yeah, mind. It's like, I have no idea what I'm seeing. Like, is that a cloud? Is that like yeah? What? Because like you—you you don't how can know you how imagine to imagine what a boat is. Yeah,
1: you're experiencing it for the first time. Yeah, you don't know how to how to to swallow
0: that. It was kind of like that. Like, well, this is how, this is real? I remember. So I was on of the couch in the guest room at your brother's house. And he came in and like, we are, we obviously missed it. It happened at like six in the morning. Cause we're in yeah. California. Right. Yeah. And, uh,
1: so it happened at six in the morning, in California. Okay.
0: No, no. Yeah. I think so. I think it happened at like 9am in New York. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I just remember Ray waking me up into saying like, I don't know if that was like where the one TV was in the house at yeah, the time. It was. Yeah. He's like, do you mind if I watch TV? And I was like, Dude, it's your house, and like just rolled back over and went to sleep. And you know, sometimes like when the TV's on, you kind of like dream about whatever's on. And I was like dreaming that like like the Pentagon got like hit with missiles. And it had. Yeah. And that's like, that's what we were watching live at the time. Yeah. You, you, like, it was
1: right when the, tr- the plane hit, hit yeah. that. Yeah. Wow.
0: Yeah. And then like, you know, we slept until he lived with Mike Wolf. I think we slept in until probably 11 and then went out to get food and shit. And it was just weird because for the next week or two, it was just around the clock coverage on every single channel yeah. following it. Right. Like,
1: yep. And where we were in Denver, um, it just, I, I can't, I can't describe the feeling of being cause you know, we'd, we'd had toured a lot. Mm-hmm. And so my, what felt like home to me was being on the road. Yeah. And so everything at home, Felt like that distant thing that you long for Mm -hmm. (laughs) because you're you're never there, and um, that feeling of uncertainty of like what on what is happening to to our lives, you know? Yeah, it's on a scale of completely changing everything, right? Um, because that was the moment. Basically, we were in our early twenties kind of stepping towards becoming adults you know and yeah. we had spent our our the end of our teens touring and and making music and we it hit us so hard it has that's why there's two two years you know um between diagram and daylight breaking mm-hmm. because there was a lot to recover from yeah for us with that uh, like I mean, luckily for, for everybody in the band, that didn't affect our lives directly what happened on 9 11, but um, like we didn't lose anybody, but we, I think we lost part of ourselves kind of on that tour because it's almost like we were still kids, you know? Yeah, you we, think that's bas- like the we thing bas- that changes you from kids to adults? We, we were just, we felt like at that point in time, I think we, we, we realized that we were still young and, and like we didn't have everything figured out and with an instant, anything can, can change. And, you know, that was, we were a very, uh, deep minded group of people that we, I think as a whole, as a band, we can really get into our heads about practically anything. And, Maybe that's how it it translates in some of the music that we've made, but like um that was a turning point in in life for sure when that happened and uh it it shows because we didn't make a record until daylight, and the band changed completely, mm-hmm. right. We didn't sound like any no motive that existed prior to that
0: no, the pop was gone, the pop
1: was gone, it was already on its way out there um. No motive went through a, a, a very strange time after nine eleven. We eventually um, parted with Pat. Jeremy and I basically instigated um, asking Pat to leave the band, and it was it was solely because we felt like we weren't seeing eye to eye musically anymore. Mm-hmm. And um, for better or for worse, that's just. That's just how it happened, you know, and it happened at a time of our lives that we felt like we were trying to be in control of certain things, I think. And um, maybe it's true that Max, Jeremy, and I had had a vision as to where to at least take the band musically. And I think with Pat at that point being both in From Satellite and in a motive that I think we we felt... A little, we, I think there was a little bit of resentment in that, you know. Um, where we felt like, why is this necessary for you to be in another band?
0: But that's legitimately trying to get famous,
1: yeah. I guess so, yeah. yeah. Well,
0: it's a major label band, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: But you know, it's like I said, it was a weird time because I look back and, and think, like, it's a, it's a I mean, it was an awful thing to do at the time, but we felt like it was necessary. But um, it doesn't make me feel any better that it happened. You know, it's sucks. Pat started the band, you know, and luckily we're all great friends still, and we were we were all able to grow from that and move on. So it is what it is, right? We 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 were experiencing growing up in real time around each other in. We were all set with very special circumstances, right? That's uh, that's how it goes.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so you get back together. No motive breaks up, but then you get back together in 2011 or 2012, and you do like a well,
1: what's the word a posthumous uh, <laughs> EP? Well, the thing is, is that we 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 made Daylight Breaking. And we toured on that, and it created a whole era with Jeff in the band, right? Mm-hmm. And um, that's when we did NGWK tour. That's we toured with RX, Bandits, and Fair Fairweather for nine months in two thousand three. Jesus, the greatest tour that ever happened. Um, and uh, from from there, I think we we started writing what ended up becoming Winterlong already before we, we, we broke up. I think we um, had Winter Long created and, and started working on that. And then I decided that I didn't want to tour anymore. And then that's when we took like almost a half decade off. And uh, I think I, you know, lived some life, started the RX world, um, went the Warriors route for, for a certain amount of time and, recorded bands and then um i think by just things happening in a certain way the idea of oh what happened was donnie phillips had started siren records and had put out um some music that that uh either jeff had made or i had made and um told Donnie that we have this EP and um, he expressed interest in in helping putting putting it out and I think it lit a fire under our asses and we we ended up re-recording Winter Long in its entirety. We had done pretty much all the music and then I lost it in the move to uh, (laughs) Bright Lights before this Bright Lights and uh, I was... Very bummed, but felt like it was my opportunity to make a proper recording of it. And so that's what Winter Long became.
0: And that came out on Black Numbers? What's that? So it wasn't on Siren.
1: So Siren... um,
0: Because Siren did the Peaced Out record the same year.
1: Siren put out Peaced Out. And Siren is the instigator for that whole thing. Uh, Donnie had a friend who ran that label, and they expressed interest in putting it out on vinyl. Because Donnie basically did the digital gotcha. release and like the rollout of it, and yeah. so that label. So it was a
0: Siren up. slash Black Numbers release. Yeah, yeah. And we played. Kids got to know, dude.
1: We played just a couple shows. We did a short run Hot Rod Circuit that they came, flew out, and did, and played a couple shows on our own, and that was about it for that.
0: And what are you gonna do this year?
1: So this year is the twentieth anniversary of sadness and i've been remixing it and uh as it stands right now we're gonna put it out ourselves digitally um on bandcamp see where it goes from there are you doing shows we're gonna do uh two shows we uh do you know when yet we initially wanted to do them in july but uh i think i i got extremely caught up in in this warriors album that kind of uh dropped the ball on that scheduling and in the fall i think we're gonna do it in november that's okay. the uh that's where it's headed.
0: And will Jarvis be playing?
1: Well, um no, I think Pat will. Oh. It 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 it's changed a couple of times. First it was it was Pat and then uh I think we we overcomplicated the all the, the whole big picture of things. Mm-hmm. And then uh Jeff was gonna come in and and just run it as our our last standing lineup, but um I think we we've had some reconsideration on Pat's end.
0: Are you going to bring out Jarvis at least due to a bass solo? <laughs> Hell
1: yeah. Honestly, I think if we have it in, in November, unfortunately, Jarvis will not be
0: here. Uh, who's uh current band is better, Jeff or Pat? <clears throat> oh
1: man. <laughs> Yeah, I can't answer that question. Verity? You know. <laughs> <laughs> you
3: know.
0: Shit. Retaliate. <laughs> retaliate. You know.
1: That's the answer to that question.
0: So, Vendetta did two records. Yeah. And that is. So, we did Retaliate, and my idea was in 2002, I wanted to just do a demo and play one show. What was it? yeah fun, fun time, yeah, like alone in the crowd style. I yeah. heard that's like what they did, and I was like, that's what I wanna do, but we did a demo, and we ended up playing two shows the first night, our first show, our first show we played we two, yeah, we played skate Street, and then we played the living room, Galita, yeah, the same night, and <laughs> same then night. Yeah, same <laughs> night. yeah we had two first shows, and both then, shows uh, were sick, both shows were fucking <laughs> sick. we had four songs, and then uh, we played
2: oh hi a couple times. Right, yeah. Convert no not converge. Hope conspiracy. Hope con? Yeah. And then I think with Clinch Fist. Yes. From Memphis. I believe so. That yeah.
0: sounds about right. And then uh Yeah, and that was a wrap because then in two thousand three In Control toured a couple times and it was like wow. I just don't have time for this. Exactly. And so then you do Vendetta. Yes. And Vendetta is it's Retali Without Me, right? Pretty much. Well we also had uh Danny Lopez and Milo. Yeah. And oh yeah, Milo wasn't in retaliate until
2: the second record. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. We uh if you remember we had uh who was it, Kevin, and then Kevin was too good for the band, like too uh skilled. Oh, in the original retaliate? Yeah. Yeah, he played like once yeah, he played like one practice and it was like He was too he was too technical, too skilled. Kind of a stroker. You know, so then, uh, I mean, like, listen to that demo. Like,
0: we had to dumb it down. If you want to, like, be a good guitarist playing in that band, like, you got to kick rocks.
3: Nope. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: like, come on. You can hang now. Yeah, like now, whatever. Yeah. But then, yeah.
1: You got to be down for the core, dude. Yeah. Can, can't be, be mixing that word metal in quite yet.
0: Yeah, agreed. Okay, so, Fandetta <laughs> does a, a first record, which is basically like Milo wrote everything. Uh Andy and Milo. Andy and Milo. Yeah. And Milo wrote
2: a lot of the lyrics too. Milo wrote lyrics. Uh Dude, Daniel wrote some lyrics. Step off. Yeah, who Daniel. <laughs> uh, he, he gets the credit for that one. Wait, who? What? Danny.
0: Danny Lopez wrote Step Off, uh-huh. I'll rip your head off. The lyrics, yeah. Dang. Who is he mad at? Life, bro. <laughs> he was just mad at yep. life. Danny's pissed little, off. He's
2: who, such a funny nice guy though. Yep.
1: Who wrote the song about baseball?
2: Oh, you're out? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you were fucking out, yeah, dude. I'm not sure I think that was either Daniel or Milo. It's a hit song, yeah, but you wrote we're living and crying, laughing and dying all over the world andy and and me wrote that, yeah andy Andy was a pretty prolific young man, yeah, yeah, but yeah, no, we recorded our demo with actually uh Nick Jett. and then that was that wasn't too bad, it was kind of like recording um like a live show almost, mm-hmm. you know, the, the music was already done, but I had gone into the studio room just with the mic. It wasn't like, uh, how we did our latest stuff, you know, with, uh, standing in front of the screen and.
1: Oh, you held a mic.
2: Yeah. Held a mic. So it felt more natural, you know? Oh, wow. So it was, uh, you know, it was easier. And, uh, then s- something, I don't know, must've been 2003.
0: That's not the same recording as the first CD. You no. did a
2: separate demo, then yeah. you do the first CD, then a second CD. So the demo, then... Uh, I'm not sure if we were related with the... Affiliate with the Takeover Records at that point in time, but Takeover Records put out the 2003 self-titled uh, album, and that's what we recorded with Roger. At the old one. At the old studio off of Palma.
1: A bunch of nice boys. Really, really nice young men that spoke very, very nicely. And then... Amongst themselves had the, the most terrible words come out of their mind.
2: Very foul language.
1: Such foul language.
2: You know, when and you're, when so you're six, proper, when 16, 16 saying the F to word to sounds a, pretty 100%. cool. <laughs> that was, like, another
0: reason why I couldn't do, like, retaliate on the first run. Right. I had to give it a few years. <coughs> it was they just, were just
1: too nice.
0: Well, no, they were 15 <laughs> years old, dude. Yeah. They were, like, 15, and I was 22. Yeah, at least right. I was like, I'm not gonna be
2: fucking in my twenties, kicking around with a bunch <laughs> of fucking fifteen year olds. Well, <laughs> I remember you played weird, uh, it's fun. I think the first time that you approached me, we were playing with our first little garage band, uh, Too Close to Call.
0: Yeah, Too Close to Call at Pass Warehouse, and you came over and talked to me. And like at the time, it was like after Poison the Well hit, and like right. ruined a lot of things because like everyone wanted to be like a wanker. Yep. You know, everyone Everyone that had a guitar wanted to wank. Bandana in the back pocket and shit, you know. It was just like, let's <laughs> wank away on the guitar, dude. And so <laughs> you guys were just like like a three-piece? Or did you have a singer? We had a singer. Okay, yeah. whatever. I, I, I don't know who it was, but <clears throat> yeah, the other three of you just sounded like sick. It just said... Heavy and like you guys practiced a lot, and even like the songs were garbage, but it was like it yeah, sounded it trash, good. Yeah,
2: no, <laughs> yeah. it was because we would practice in Matt's garage, and Matt's parents were always down for us to just hang out and jam. Yeah, Matt's family's awesome, they would buy us toppers and <laughs> give us money to go get burgers. So, you know, don't, don't it, they still do that? They still do that, yeah,
1: <laughs> they still do. But
2: any chance we got, we're you know, we would spend you know, retaliate practice goes on for 20 minutes. We're like, all right, you had enough. But you know, we would practice we would practice in that garage for six, seven hours on end.
0: You know, it sounded like you know, it.
2: and I became the bass player in, in that band uh when uh the bass player that Matt and Andy were jamming with went to go home to like make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And I was sitting around because they're my buddies, and they're like, Hey, why don't you try this? And Andy showed me some like Nirvana riff or something. And you know, I didn't have much skill. So but I was just, you know, wigging out and going crazy. And by the time Homie got back, I was like, uh, they're like, yo, you're out of the band, dude.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That was the worst peanut butter sandwich he ever had. Yeah. So, yeah. So so you guys go and you do first CD. Does does TakeOver do the second CD as well?
2: Um, It was with uh, Scott McGrath's label, but um, they had to change the name from TakeOver Records to... Old Guard, I believe. Oh. And the reason was that, going back to your story about uh, your yellow card, buddy, uh, that dude coined, I guess, the TakeOver Record brand and had the copyright on it. So oh. Scott was getting sued. <laughs> by that guy? By, by Alex? By whatever, whoever did the TakeOver Records I originally. Think, I think one of the yellow card guys. Okay. Oh. Okay. So uh, he had to change the, yeah, they uh, had the had name. Us, they should have had us moderate. But actually, um, so oh so Scott Scott uh, went to Old Guard. But actually, the second record was put out with uh, Nick Jett on uh, New View Records.
0: Oh, cool. Uh, put yes.
2: it out uh, yes. Vendetta as well as what was the uh, Down Again? Oh yeah, 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 the yeah. Down Again CD. Exactly, and yeah, I think that those might have been yeah. the uh, only Rick. the only two that uh, that Nick did. But Roger recorded it, but Nick put it out. Yes, yeah, Roger recorded pretty much everything that that we ever did. Um, Nick put it out uh yeah man i mean it was it was fun we did a little music video it was cool yeah you did it out of the scary dairy yeah and the guy (laughs) that was filming us uh brought this big container of pot brownies and like i want to think like 30 out of the 40 people there ate them and then they were just (laughs) fucked completely completely barfing sleeping (laughs) There was a Take show at late- the hospital. Yeah. Take me to the hospital, man. Like it was bad. <laughs> Later that night there was a show at the Alpine or Skate Street in Ventura
1: and I think Machines was playing or was Hybrid a- Moments. Somebody and Cuz I was there.
2: Yeah. Everybody was sleeping on the couches because they were just too fucked up to enjoy the show. Like yeah, passed pass out. The fuck yeah. out. So there was probably, you know, 50 50 60 kids there and half of them were just laid up on the couch just <laughs> Unable to even watch that. the gig.
1: Around those pillars, they put those little seating areas, yep. right? Yeah, it was you laid You Guys up. were not okay. No, it was it was all bad. <laughs> fun to look back upon. Hey, do you remember Instant Messenger? Oh yeah, you 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 used too close to call, right? That was it. Yeah. But you had a typo. Did I? <laughs> yeah, Probably dude. It. Yeah, too close to.
2: That's call. it, man. Oh, I should have been the other way around. Yeah. Did it. Are you sure? Yeah, dude. I feel like I'm sputter enough dude not to, to catch that. Yeah. Too close.
0: Also yeah. call.
2: Yeah. <laughs> 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 but no, actually, funny do you mention that? Uh Incident Messenger, man. That's like the first uh Too the first times like you and Zach would send me stuff to listen to. You know, you guys really turned me on to some music back in the day and it's kind of, you know, where I started to fall in love with this kind of this music that we play because
0: Oh yeah, before every record when I said to you guys, all right, dude, here's that in cold blood record. This is what I want to sound like. <laughs> right.
2: What the fuck is this? Oh, every
0: two years get this email from Zach, right? <laughs> I don't know if I've ever sent this to you before, but here's this In Cold Blood album. Yeah. And here's exactly what I want to sound like. So I'm like,
2: Andy, get to work, dude. Oh. Roger, help. Nah, yeah, I was it was yeah. fun, man. And then Vendetta time. and Retaliate ran concurrent for a while as well. Yeah, yeah. There was a while where we were doing like basically double sets for me and Matt and Andy because every show that we would play, uh, Retaliate and Vendetta would play together. Yeah. Oftentimes the Warriors would play. Um, it's that's just fight. too much work, right now, man. You had that one drummer for a while that wasn't Matt. That was awesome, though. Oh, Manuel. What happened yeah. to that fool? Dude, that guy was a stud. Yes, he makes yeah. drums. Yeah, he's doing a drum company. They're called uh, Era. That Era drums. That guy was so good. He was awesome. You know, he was like the drummer from Sting. You know how he plays like some <laughs> off time type of shit that works? That guy was fucking awesome. He was incredible. The drummer from Sting? Yeah, yeah.
0: How the fuck would I know who
3: that <laughs> Right? Guy
2: is? I forgot his name. It was a famous guy. From the police? Yeah, the police. There we uh, go. If Matt <laughs> was here, he would know the name. From the police. Yeah. But no, yeah, Manny. Manny was the shit. Also, a super funny, creative dude. And uh, yeah, he was he was a blast to play with. Very low pressure. Yeah, you know, I feel you know when you start to take the band too serious, which we've never done in either one of the bands I've played in. It's just <laughs> that's, that's just where it becomes you know it's not a good time anymore.
0: Well, I think that all of us had the opportunities to do, or at least dip our foot in the full time waters, and realize if that was something we wanted to do or not. Right, go
2: out and make you know a hundred bucks a day. That's cool.
0: <laughs> well oh. well Roger had a little more <laughs> success than all of us. Oh, yeah. But yeah. uh and you guys had a chance to do whatever the fuck you wanted to do with Vendetta, right? Yeah. Yeah. So if you wanted to do it, you could have done it.
2: We did. And you know, I think that education, schooling was always pushed like by our folks. And I knew that Andy was never gonna be like, let's just hit the road and, and go and play. So I was like, "Well, all right, let's uh, start figuring this out." Anyway. Oh yeah, and then Matt, yeah, that's when Matt decided to go and bail and, and join the Warriors, and we're like, "All right, well, boom, guess, guess it's over, dude."
1: That's that's when the tide, tides turn. Yeah, yeah. He came,
2: he came back. Yeah, well, Matt
0: left, and then that's and when, then we got, got you I the, the pitcher. Yeah, we got yeah. Roger,
1: but then he quickly came back.
0: Right. Well, no, because and then you, we we had you and. Wasn't there a time that we had not you or Matt? Because we had Kyle play drums. Oh yeah, Kyle or played. Or were you a playing guitar shows. then? Milo, I think. I know Milo was in the band then. Did you were you ever in the band when Milo was in the band?
1: I was. And we we made we're we playing were guitar. one towards the end of Milo being in the band. Yeah. Play the Che Cafe a couple times. But Milo think, didn't play on like the record. Him. No, but he did right. That's
0: write. the weirdest fucking thing about this band is like we had a lot of like different little eras, mm-hmm. but on all the albums. It always ends up being like all the original guys. Yeah, it's, it's like kind of like weird, right? Because if that... you ever looked at our discography, it would be like, oh, they got the same guys the whole time. Exactly. Why well, know like... was weird? It was weird when Kyle was in the band. I loved it. He actually like yeah, Kyle. He awesome. played different. He was he was definitely like not as good as you or Matt at drums. I don't think, but he played the songs differently, and it was like really rad. Because it was like different. You get a new take exactly. on like a song that you're kind of like burnt, be a little burnt on. You yeah. know, it's like different flair. Like we're playing like you know, born to lose, like just a hair slower, right? And it's just like, oh, this is actually like fun to sing <laughs> right now. A little bit you of know? different flair, yeah. Like, you like paying attention yep. to it, and like, yeah, it was it was really fun. Vibe speed, yes, vibe speed, as yeah.
1: opposed to meth, methamphetamine. Speed. Oh, yeah. It, it, Matt
0: speeds everything up. buff body speed. Damn. Yeah.
1: Last show. Oh, my Lord. Do you play fast? Very fast.
0: Super. Really? Yep. We've been very fortunate. We've been a fortunate band.
2: Well, that's and, what happens when you get five different guys from five different counties. You know, it's really hard to get together, man. Even, you know, we play once a year. And to practice, it costs, you know, $300 to get down <laughs> yeah. here and fucking taking the train for three rehearsals and fucking, or sit in traffic and want to kill yourself, so... I oh, know. I want to hey, take man. that
1: free train wine. It's all in the all in the name for riffs. That's
0: it, man. Riffing. Hey, have we ever played a bad show? Never. I don't think so either. Maybe one.
2: What would be the worst one? Pomona. What was that? Did we play with? Uh, was it Terror or Piece by Piece? Something we, we played, played with... a bad show with
0: Terror and Pomona. <laughs> no one watched us, dude. I don't think, so.
2: think anyone give a shit about us. I we were like at the airport show. or something. And a bad show for me is like, no, you know, when no, no, like no, no, 40 no. kids are fucking
0: hanging out. Yeah. yeah. The, no, 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 no. That airport was in like, uh, that was like Pacoima. East, East Valley. Yeah. Like Pacoima. Uh,
2: Pacoima, not oh, that show was cool. Uh, it was okay.
0: That was with like the original run of rotting out. Yeah. Yeah. It was rotting out and terror.
2: So it wasn't that bad. We just kind of didn't, uh, I wouldn't say fit in real well, but a lot of our friends that would normally come out to check us out, weren't there. I'd say. It was a little sparse during the tally, but that's okay. But that's why you
1: mean they didn't go, they didn't leave Oxnard Ventura. Damn, yeah, that's
2: it. Kind of like me. I feel like
0: (laughs) was that a show that like we borrowed equipment? Like that always seems sorrier.
2: I know it does. I feel like we we didn't sound when when like the band is like leaving stage. Hey, bro, you mind if I borrow your amp? (laughs) Uh, They're like, fuck! I was trying to get out of here already, man. Now I got to watch this fucking band. I think that was. I wouldn't consider that a bad show. I had fun at that show. We probably haven't played a bad show. Plus, that airport was sick. Yeah. That was such a cool spot. We were drinking, having fun like we always do.
0: Yeah, and that was like (laughs) early terror. They were great. Yeah. I mean, they're still great. Every every era has been great. But like that early terror was just so fun because uh,
2: sky was the limit. You didn't know how far they were going to take it. It was awesome. Yeah. It was cool to be able to watch them play smaller shows. Yeah. Like, I, I saw the first gig they played at uh pat's warehouse and well, that it was fucking show. sweet yeah piece by piece played and i think terror played under piece by piece yeah actually. i think piece by
0: piece headline i've i missed terror because joe revis worked at kinko's and he was printing out the inserts for in plays the hits okay and so i was at kinko's and missed the first terror show but i saw the first
2: piece by piece show that's sweet piece piece. <laughs> yeah a lot of the uh pat's warehouse shows like are pretty fun and Close to my heart, man. Like when Dave Dog was trying to kill Robert.
0: Yeah, let's, let's <laughs> it was a good story. <laughs> okay, dude, do you want to tell it? You tell it, man. You would know it better than I do. Okay, so fucking. Oh man, should we tell a story?
2: Yeah, why not?
3: <laughs>
0: okay, so this this is how I remember it, and I'm sorry if I forgot the story for Robert and Dave Dog, both who I consider my friends. Um, it was like outside Pat's warehouse, right? Yeah, and I think like Dave Dog asked Robert, like, "Hey, like, can I have a slice of pizza?" Because there was like the pizza guy that showed up like That's outside right. the shows, over right? Pizza. Yeah, and I think Robert, like, I don't know, he had a couple pizzas or something. So Dave, Dogg was like, let me get a piece, and a couple slices. Yeah, left. and I and I think Robert gave him a slice or something, and and Dave Dog must have felt like he was like shorted or cool something. Guy in like, him. Yeah, uh, like he maybe he took like one of the pieces. I don't know, I, whatever. Whatever happened, happened, right? But <laughs> fucking Robert got offended. Yes. Because like he felt like he got punked by Dave Dog. Right? right. And so he fucking goes to the van and comes back, like, with a baseball bat. Yeah. And like, and Dave Dog is a fucking tough guy. So like, I don't think he would have ran if he saw that it was like Robert with the baseball bat, but you just see any fool running at you with a baseball exactly. bat. And, like, yep. Dave Dog's like taking off and Robert's well, chasing him with a baseball bat, right? Yeah. And then so finally fucking. Dave Dogg's like, oh, shit, it's like, it's Robert to me with the baseball bat. Yeah, so he that's just was tripping out to me. He just stops it's like, a lot of these guys know each other. Know. You know? He's like, oh, it's Robert. Yeah. And he's like, what's up, Batman? What's going to do, Batman? What are you <laughs> going to do, Batman?
2: Prior to Robert grabbing the bat, though, Dave Dogg was chasing him around the car for a good at least four or five cycles. Oh, you was Yeah, they were chasing each other, you know? Okay. It was kind of crazy. It's was like, oh, and then Robert went and grabbed the bat. I was like, what's up now?
0: what's up Batman fucking Batman dude Dude, I I have a story about Terror playing smaller shows so we were in Poughkeepsie New York on a night off on in control tour so we went to see Terror they played it was with Ramallah and Ringworm and it was an awesome little show Like probably like 80 or 100 kids Poughkeepsie and it was one of those uh, big clubs where they have like the small room and the big room and so they're playing in the small room, and coming up later in the day in the big room was going to be Twisted Sister. Ooh. But they had a falling out with a, their label. They were like in a like a lawyer dispute and shit. So they had to play under the name Bent Brother.
2: Nice, <laughs> wow, nice. <laughs> they should have played the small room.
1: <laughs> I know.
0: <laughs> so, all right, Bent guys. Brother, anything else you want to touch on?
1: I think Poppy's here. We better go.
0: Okay. Um, do you guys feel like you've been well represented? Hundred <laughs> percent.
1: Always. <Okay. laughs>
0: I love you guys. Love you. Love you. <laughs>